Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have an amazing show for you guys tonight. Um, tonight, we have another fascinating author with us. His name is Ryan Musgrave at Evans. He is the author of a book called Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto Terrestrials. We're going to be talking about all different contact experiences and abductions in history and how they compare to this group called the Crypto Terrestrials and how Ryan defines this group because they can somewhat be indigenous, but they can also be beings from Orion and they are the, the tall whites and they're the grays and they're the, the elves of Europe. And he gets into all this. He gets into so much interesting stuff. And he, he does this with his experience. He has re- experience in comparative linguistics, philosophy, folklore, religious studies, and research in the paranormal, as well as degrees in education and, and, and uh, philosophy and stuff like that. So I'd like to welcome my guest to the show. Ryan, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, no problem. I, I think your book's amazing. When Philip Mantle emailed me about it, um, I wasn't familiar with what the term crypto terrestrials was. But then once I started reading the book, I thought it was an amazing book. And I think that's what we, we should do to, um, to give the audience an idea of what we're talking about when we say crypto terrestrials. Um, what, what, how would you define the crypto terrestrials? Yeah, OK, well, I um can't take credit for actually coining that term. There's a guy called Mac Tonies or Tonies, T-O-N-N-I-E-S. And he wrote a book called The Crypto Terrestrials, a meditation on indigenous humanoids and the aliens among us. And regrettably, that guy passed away at a very young age uh, in 2009. But he'd been developing this uh, hypothesis, this alternative hypothesis to the extraterrestrial hypothesis that says that... Um, the beings behind, you know, UFO-related phenomena and abduction-related phenomena are alien to us from elsewhere, not indigenous to the Earth, and have no evolutionary history to us. Mac Tony said, hold on a second, that didn't really sit well with him, that he thought that there were themes running through abduction law, UFO law, that suggest maybe these beings are indigenous to the Earth, because they seem to be um, compatible with us in certain ways of, well, their genomic structures. There's this running theme or motif in abduction law and crypto terrestrial law. I'm sure everyone will know that um, they're interested in our DNA. They take our DNA. There's this suggestion that maybe there's some hybridization program going on. There's particular cases, such as the case of Peter Curie in Sydney in 1992, and also the case of Antonio Villas Boas in Brazil in 1957, where they had interactions with fair beings that and that actually copulated with them in the old-fashioned kind of way, like suggesting a very close genetic affiliation. Um, as Not to mention that in appearance, they look almost like us as well in those two particular cases. So yeah, I think, said, I, I think in both those cases, both those Billis Boas and Peter Corey's case, I didn't mean to interrupt you. They, they, they no. said that the, a woman was really small, really small-framed, but um, really fair skin, like a like a like a like a tall white type being, but very short. Am I right about that? Or, or no? Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. That's right. But um, the thing about and they were barking and growling like Charles wow. Hall in, in his Millennial Hospitality books describes the tall whites that he met at Nullis Air Force Base in the '60s when he was working there as a weather observer stationed uh, in the USAF. Um, at working at Indian Springs and he 
claims to have had contact with what he called tall whites. And it was Charles Hall that sort of coined that term, tall whites. Before then, people had referred to this kind of being more often as Nordics. Um, and, but then after Charles Hall wrote those books and they first came out in the early 2000s, he called them tall whites and people have been using that term ever since a lot uh, in tandem with Nordics. But um, yeah, one element of that testimony, the tall whites, they, uh, as well as chirping and whistling and things like that and making other animalistic noises, they bark and growl. Well, in the um, Antonio Villas Boas case, he describes them as barking and making barking and growling sounds. And also, uh, Charles Hall in his books, Millennial Hospitality books, five of them, um, he mentions how the tall whites take a very long time to grow, um, that they take much longer to grow than we do, that, that they, you can have individuals that are four and a half foot, five foot, five foot, six, six foot, six and a half, seven, and they can get as tall as nine or 10 foot, but after prolonged periods. If you were to have individuals that are say four and a half foot tall or five foot tall, like the beings that Antonio Villas Boas says he met, these beings can still be adults by our standards, but because they take so long time, such a long time to grow, they can be five foot tall and be about 50 years old. That is five zero, not one five, 50 wow. years old. They, they take about a hundred years to even reach six foot. And, and then they don't grow for a, a, a period. And then they have windows of growth at later stages, at later ages. So when they get to around 400 years old, they can be as tall as like six and a half, seven foot. And they get, and they keep growing and, and slowing down and growing and slowing down. So just because the Antonio Villas Boas beings were relatively short, does not mean that they're not the same race. And in a way, the, 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 the term tall whites, I think is unfortunate because people often presume that these beings to belong to the race must be tall by default, but, they, but as I explore in my book and also um, draw parallels with my own experience as well toward the end of the book, I don't talk about my own experience as much until the end of the book or at all until the end of the book. I try to maintain an objective kind of investigation as much for the first part of the book and keep my own stuff out of it as much as I could. Um, but um, yeah, you can have tall whites, tall whites, uh, the, a pale white blonde hair, very large eyes, um, triangular shaped faces, um, but that are only five foot tall or four and a half foot like the individuals that Antonio Villas Boas met. Peter Curry, in Sydney, who had a similar sexual experience to Antonio Villas Boas, the woman, his partner in that event, was chalk white, huge blue eyes, thin, fine white hair. But he said that she was a good head height taller than he was. Now, Peter Curry is about six foot tall. So that individual was quite a tall woman, which would mean that she was quite advanced in age. So it she would probably have been about 500 years old that to be that tall because this is a way you can judge their age they don't necessarily age overly obviously in their features but they grow taller and their faces as they grow taller their faces grow longer with it so yeah. the individual sorry yep no go ahead so go ahead so you're saying oh uh, yeah the, the individual antonio villas boas met when he did drawings of her she had quite a short face, but they do have quite short faces at that age. And as they get taller and longer, their faces grow narrow, uh, 
I'm not sure if their face is narrow or if they just look narrow because they've grown longer relatively, but their, their chins and their faces grow really long. And one, once they get to advanced ages, they have these huge, heavy chins, pointed chins. And um, Peter Curry mentioned um, the, the woman he met had what he called a witch's chin. That's a, I'm not sure if he mentioned that in the interview with you that he did, but he talked about that in the book that I've read, a very pointed, pronounced chin. Well, that would mean that she's quite advanced in age and also coupled with her height. He talked a long time. He, when he was on my, for people that don't know, like, you know, because I got a lot of new subscribers since then, I had Peter on the show. And we should say about his blood results, like he was able to bite the, the nipple, I think it, he said it was of the alien. Or well, if we want to call them aliens, they could be indigenous, whatever. But for the sake of the conversation, I'll say alien. I think he bit or he, he, he nibbled some part where he got a hair and he saved that hair and he sent that hair in for DNA testing. And do you want to talk about what they found? Yeah, well, they found um, very fascinating. Um, Homo sapiens DNA, really, although aberrant. So in the follicle, and this is perhaps the most odd part about it, other than a being homo sapiens as well, which is odd enough when you expect it to be something completely alien, you know, um, in the follicle was um, rare Gaelic Basque DNA of a, of a kind that people that is usually restricted to people say in Spain, in Northern Spain, where the Basque people are or in Western Ireland and Northern Scotland, where there's still a lot of Gaelic genetics. Um, so DNA of that kind, but then in the hair shaft, changed to another as though it was a different individual's hair and this hair was rare as well but a rare mongoloid kind so asian dna that's amazing and yeah very, very odd and it suggests as a guy um uh, bill chalker an australian researcher investigator and he was the main force behind investigating peter curry's case and he wrote a book called hair of the alien uh, in, and came out in 2005. That's a, that's a very cool book for people that are interested. It really goes into Peter Curry's case, along with a few other cases that are similar, but it focuses mainly on Peter's. And um, he was saying that it was suge it suggested that there was some kind of uh, sophisticated hair graft had happened, where the, the being's hair had been altered and added to. Um, now, that's a possibility. And also at the time, I think, uh, Peter, I think uh, uh, Bill Chalker suggested at the time when this happened in 1992 that we ourselves as Homo sapiens wouldn't have been able to replicate that with our technologies and science at the time, that kind of sophisticated graft. Whereas now we probably could, but, in, but 40 years ago, no. Um, so that, that's really intensely interesting. And, and, and to, for a point to get back to Mac Tony's idea of the crypto terrestrials the indigenous humanoids they had homo sapiens dna that's amazing. So you, yeah, that's you know so that's yeah. that's an indicator yeah but now you call here's what i want to talk about you call them your books called the children of orion so you point out things to orion in the um and you know what's interesting another researcher he's really big into orion he thinks nazca lines or has something to do with orion his name's ryuch and i don't know if you ever heard of him He's from over here in America, but he's done a lot of work on like, uh, it's like the cabal and stuff like that. And like, you know, like, but he, he's basically said the Nazca lines are pointing to Orion and that it's all these beings from Orion. But, but, but I want to get on into what your specific case, because not your specific case, but 
your book because you call them the children from Orion, but they're indigenous. So do you think they came from Orion at some point? And do you think, uh, this is a two-part question, like how do you think they all got so technologically advanced? And when I say all of them, I mean like the tall whites, the 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 grays, the, you know, every kind of ET species that we might be dealing with here, like that might be living in the, in the earth, but uh, they might have some kind of higher technology. Did you, and then, Sorry, I'll let you answer that. Yeah, no, no, cool, man. Um, yeah, well, yeah, that that is the title of the book, Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto Terrestrials. You're very right. It is a contradiction in itself, in a sense, because if you're going to def- define crypto terrestrials as hidden earthlings, it literally means beings that are from here, a sister species, as Mactoni suggested, that are with robust technologies able to pull the wool over our eyes and clandestinely influence our minds, alter our memories, use cloaking technology, live in our mountains under the sea, and basically just take advantage of our genomic structure to reinforce, to reinvigorate their own impoverished DNA. And I think they have been doing that. Like, I think Linda Moulton Howe talks about that. She talks about exactly what you just said. She's a researcher from here, and I'm sure you've heard of her. She says oh, yeah. that the Nordics live in under the under the sea in the cool ocean, and she said the reptilians live in the desert because they like it hot, and the greys live in you know some underground base somewhere. Um, in, in but you know, but but they were they were probably all from Orion, is what you're probably saying. I don't think it's happened uh, to a contradiction. I, I think they possibly could uh, be. Do you think that's no, no, no? Well, what um. Well, they, this, what it is, is that um, this particular race are time travelers. The Orions, the tall whites are time travelers. Oh, so, okay. so, so although they have a relationship with Orion and have spent tens of thousands of years on an Earth-like planet orbiting Al-Nalam or Epsilon Orionis, which is the middle star of Orion's belt, they have returned to their ancient home, which is ancient Earth, having left it for them tens of thousands of years earlier, over 50,000 years before, returned to it into our ancient past as well to reinvigorate their failing genomes with their ancient selves, with the DNA of their ancient selves. So they are indigenous to here originally, but have a, a long associated history with Orion's belt. So that's why they are Orions. And do you think this includes original... all of them, like the greys, the tall whites, like every species that we're dealing uh, with? Well, no, well, uh, some this particular species sometimes are called greys. Sometimes they're called tall greys. Sometimes they're called tall whites. Sometimes they're called uh, Nordic. Okay. So they can but be interchangeable. Depends. They they all can be they all can be similar, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, um, I think it depends on what the way they present themselves. So they wear these dark suits that are sometimes black or dark grey. Um, with long nose-like appendage for um, mimicking sounds and um, uh, amplifying resonating sounds. Um, <laughs> and they have goggles on that glow red at night. They can cloak. They have fake cl- like prosthetic claws they wear on their hands as well in these suits. So these are their military-grade suits. And if people were to see them, you'd think that they were a tall grey. You'd think maybe that was their skin, but this is just a suit, one of their kinds of ways... But um, as for um, other beings, like I think like greys proper, like short greys are um, also a kind of future lineage human. But rather than going to Orion, they went to Zeta Reticuli. Oh, okay. But 
uh, now when and when it comes to reptilians, uh, this is not an appropriate opinion of mine, but I don't actually believe they exist. I don't think oh. there's such a thing as a reptilian. I think if what most people have seen, if they've had genuine encounters with things they think are reptilians, are greys or these little brown ones that are similar to greys, they have scales and claws and can look quite reptilian in appearance. And also the Orions themselves or the tall whites, when they're wearing these cloaking suits with claws and long faces, projected shoulders and things like that, where they sort of hunch over when they get quite tall, you could forgive someone for thinking they were like a tall reptilian being or something like that. Yeah, but, it, but it, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no. That, so that, so that's all. That's the explanation as to why I've said children over Orion and calling them crypto terrestrials because it's um, it's still conforms to Mactoni's crypto terrestrial hypothesis in that he said that these beings were likely indigenous to earth a sister species to us close enough closely enough related to interbreed um and 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 this my book does um conform to that idea but it has this extra element to my book in the investigation as i go through it that there's this suggestion that not only are they indigenous to earth but they've spent a lot of time elsewhere and they vote and they consider themselves to still have this association with Orion. And they even use the symbolism of Orion's belt um, a lot for something that seems to be like a flag to them. It's like a symbol of where they are and who they are as people, even though they're here, they're here now permanently and they have been for thousands of years again, influencing our histories and um, uh, re uh, religious systems and mythologies, um, ideas of fairies and elves um, uh, based a lot on them. That's um, what I was just going to ask you, because the fairies and elves throughout history can be tricksters and they can show up. A fairy can show up as how it wants to show itself to you. So am I along the right line of thinking there? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. In the old in the olden days, in the old Celtic myths, oh, myth, mythology from all over the world really has these ideas of like societal humanoid beings living on the fringes of our world that are sort of unknown to us, occasionally impinging on our reality. But particularly that kind of idea became particularly sophisticated with the Celtic people and what was called the Celtic fairy faith. Um, now, uh, there was, there's a particular kind of elf or fairy um, that was called Nahuishlan, the gentry in Ireland and Scotland. And they were subterranean dwelling, tall and fair, uh, magical, able to use what was called glamoury to trick your mind, to... to um, confuse you to present images of themselves that don't comply to reality necessarily so sort of like mesmerization techniques and um, uh, screen memories uh, memory alteration all this kind of stuff was what was lumped in with the fairies and their capabilities um, incredibly curious people beings that would come up out of the earth and wander through people's houses and like poltergeists throw things around or move things borrow things to return them later um, if they were not treated um respectfully they could kill or damage people or livestock and that's an important point livestock with cattle mutilations and things like that happening these days wow um you're hitting every nail on the head like the things that are in in popular ufology today like you're really drawing nice conclusions like i would really say i'm sorry and i didn't mean to interrupt you but like you're just no. really like 
really nailing everything. Uh, you're hitting a home run because like, I think this all lines up, like you said, with the cattle mutilations, it all makes sense. Like it all makes sense. That's Sorry. right. Yeah. No, that's okay. Cool. That's, that's I get yeah, excited no about this. I, yeah, I no. mean, <laughs> but, so do I. Yeah. I think so. what, but, but Belay, Mac Tonys and Charles Hall, they were all kind of on a similar um, way of thinking. And you draw notes from all three of them in your book. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, look, well, well, basically what I, what I was just describing there as being the Huishlin, the gentry, a certain kind of uh, tall, fair elf. Um, you might think of them as sort of being comparable maybe to the elves in Tolkien's books and things like that. This idea of sort of tall, magical, fair beings, but they're dwelling underground in the Celtic mythology. They would also, according to older, older works, like the work of uh, Robert Kirk, um, who wrote a book in the 1600s called The Secret, Secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fawns and Fairies. He was a Scottish minister that was uh, researching elves and the Scottish Gaelic beliefs of them. He said that they whistle and chirp amongst themselves. Well, Charles Hall says that the tall whites whistle and chirp as well. So there's even down to linguistics, these are... are that that guy, like, the kid I told you about, Ryushin, who has the... Uh... The, the Orion, he's called the OrionLines.com. You'll have to check it out. He okay, said the aliens cool. chirp too. He said that's another thing he said. And it's funny. He talks about them being from Orion or whatever. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and so these are all like similarities. Like it's like, a, it's very, it's very, it, it, you're all, you're all, you're, everybody's, start, I think yeah. everybody's starting to draw conclusions to like what this phenomenon might really be. Yeah, I, you, can, I can sense that too. Yeah, that there's pe lots of different people now all sort of drawing together, all sort of meeting. Yeah, this is this is the this is the way forward. I think lots of people are are getting clued onto this all simultaneously. Now, you but, you yeah. you did this because you've had your own experiences, right? And I, I want to get into that because I have a lot of contactees on the show, but I wanted to get into the, the base of your book first. And if we if we didn't do a, a good job of covering that, we can cover whatever else you want to cover, but. I'd like to get into your experiences as well, too. So whatever, whatever else you want to cover on your book, we can talk about that. But if you want to get into some of your experiences, I'd like to hear about those, too. Um, uh, well, maybe I'll just I'll just say this one thing before we talk about my own particular experiences, if that's cool, dude. Yeah, I'll just fine. say that. Um, yeah, I'll just quickly say that um, uh, these suits that they wear, which I've I, I've been calling them Boas suits, B-O-A-S. That's just a name I came up with from the Antonio Villas Boas case from Brazil. I thought, well, these suits need a name and they have to be called something. So I'll just call them that because these dark suits that the beings were wearing when they were interacting with goggles and things they were interacting with um, and they, uh, Antonio Villas Boas and they were wearing these interesting suits. Um, these suits uh, crop up in different places in different cases. And they are what people, I'm absolutely convinced, and I suggest so in the book and also on my YouTube channel, I argue this, that what people call Mothman are the military-grade suits of the tall whites. So they wear these dark suits. They can levitate, cloak, glowing red eyes at night to, to improve oh. their night vision, I think. Um, and, when they're, and sometimes they even wear cloaks, floor-length black cloaks with hoods while they're wearing these suits. Not necessarily, but sometimes. Which, um, while they're while they're um, uh, levitating, 
they sort of blur over and like a dark cloud envelops them and they become um, nebulous looking. And it almost looks like they have wings or something that are coming out, but it's, it's like a, an illusion. Um, these suits are what an, most people, if they're going to have contact with these particular crypto, crypto terrestrials, these particular future humans, they're much more likely to see them wearing these suits than see them without them than see them wearing pale luminescent suits or whatever, like Charles Hall describes. Uh, Chris Bledsoe experienced these suits in the Fayetteville incident um, in 2007, these cloaking, glowing-eyed suits. He also did a drawing um, that's available online of what look like Mothman entities that he's reproduced as well. Um, glowing red eyes, dark. Um, now, I've seen these suits as well, them wearing them. Uh, Kelly Kale, another Australian case, she saw these suits. Um, and what, and basically in these suits, they are responsible for most hauntings, mo most sort of ghost-related phenomena even, like um, poltergeist activity, uh, dark, shadow men, um, uh, shapes moving through solid objects, which is another ca capability of the suit, intangibility, so they can pass through solid objects. Um, uh, you know, people standing at the end of your bed at night, hearing voices in your house, music playing, and you don't know what's going on and there's no one there, but you can hear this happening. Um, in my personal opinion, um, when people say to me that they've had an experience with ET beings and they, and they give a lot of details about it and they say that this happened and that happened and all, and, they, and the ETs told me this, I think, okay, yeah, that might be true. You know, it might not be. But, it, you know, uh, it may be. But when someone says to me, my house is haunted, I have dark shapes moving around my house, I hear growling sounds. These are all, then I think this person's is, a, is an ET experiencer. This is a, or a CT experience, a crypto terrestrial experiencer. Because most usually their interactions with us um, come under those kinds of, of uh, events and phenomena. It's, it's very rare for them to present themselves as an extraterrestrial and say, check me out, this is me. More usually, they're going to be shadow people, ghosts, and that kind of thing. I have a question. Um, so they, be, do you think that um, they have access to, obviously, um, cloaking, or do you think they have access to other dimensions where they can reside in other dimensions? Like, you know, I'm sitting right here, but right to the left of me, there could be a crypto-terrestrial right now, but I can't see them because he's in another dimension or is that their technology? And then also I listened to another podcast you did leading up to this and you talked about how they have telepathic tech. And I thought that was interesting too. So is this all technology or can you think they can reside in dimensions that are beside us? Uh, yeah, I, well, it is all technologically based in my opinion. They have, it's, it's material. It might, it might seem like magic to us um, because we don't understand it, but this is like a, a robust, sophisticated technology. And, and yes, they have telepath tech. They are no, this particular race, tall whites or Nordics or Mud, they call themselves the Mudjana actually. Um, but um, these partic this particular race that I investigate in my book from Orion, um, they are no more telepathic naturally than we are. They rely on technology and their helmets to mesmerize us influence our thoughts speak into our mind send images into our mind that kind of thing um 
and, and also they have technologies to cloak. Yeah, they can be, sometimes it, uh, it can be, um, I'm not quite sure why, but it can be more effective at sometimes than others. Sometimes they can be totally and completely invisible. You just would not know they were there. Other times there's a sort of like a shimmer, like in the Predator movie, like um, that famous sort of heat haze look of the creature that's cloaking in the old Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. But, um, but they do also, through, by way of technology, have access to portals and vortices and can leap, use technologies to use natural tunnels or portals to leap around on the earth to different yeah. points. Um, and sometimes these, this leaping can produce a, a boom, a really devastating rocking sound. Um, now, like a sonic boom, I suppose, but when they're using their normal uh, uh, craft and they're actually breaking the sound barrier and stuff, they don't produce sonic booms in that kind of instance. Their, their craft just slip through the air at massive speeds and stuff like that. But when they're actually using portals or vortices, yes, it can make a, a, a really loud sound. Um, so, and they can also become intangible. So, um, so they could be like, they can cloak, you can't see them. They can become intangible so they can walk through you. In which case it often feels like a cold shiver. It feels like some, something is actually touching you and it'll be them actually passing through you. They can pass through things if they become an intangible. Now the nature of that technology, I just presume, I, I wouldn't have a clue really exactly how they're doing it, but that they're shifting their atomic structure to wiggle its way in between something else. So they're just moving through all of the open space between atoms of other solid objects in inverted commas. The possibility that maybe they're shifting dimensionally while they're doing it. I mean, maybe, I don't really understand what interdimensional travel would look like and whether yeah. maybe shifting atoms is interdimensional travel in a sense, but, but they are certainly interdimensional in one way because the kind of time travel they use, strictly speaking, is not like it depends on what you mean by time travel. You might say, if you're talking about flowing up and down in, this, in, a, in a timeline and going to your own past and future and things like that, they don't do that. They locate other timelines that are identical to their own at different points in their history and jump across to them. So they're sort of not really time travelers, but interdimensional. So when they've come back to ancient Earth, they haven't come back to an ancient Earth in their own past. They've, they've located another parallel world that is identical to the way theirs was 50,000 years earlier and stepped across to that. So they're not really from our future and we're not really from their past. In a way, they've hijacked our timeline. Okay, so, I see. Because I was thinking maybe they were doing something really heinous to our timeline to like cause things that were happening like in our world or something like that. But that's not happening. They're just, they're using, they're accessing a part of our earth at a different time that that makes a lot of sense like but what's really interesting is the fact that they they were here so much long ago and they acquired technology to go off planet and then they go to orion and they get even more technology and they come here it makes sense it it it, it, it all if if this is what if this is what it was you know like it, and it, it does make sense because what, i wanted to bring it back to this on that peter corey case um yeah. we talked about the basque uh bloodlines those are also rh negative which is really interesting because if you look at how the all the bloodlines um migrated if you go back to the anunnaki like you know back in ancient samaria like supposedly those are as are 
those Basque bloodlines go the whole way back to that. And that's, and those are RH negative. Did you, did you know that? Or did, what do you think about that? Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that, but yeah. Okay. That would make sense. Well, these guys have been here influencing us and interacting with us and interbreeding with us and for so long. Do you think um, that's why they want that DNA? Because it has like maybe ancient alien DNA in it or something like that. Maybe. Well, I'm not, I'm, well, I'm not sure. I think, I think that they may have altered and tinkered us, tinkered with us at certain stages in our evolution, a little bit here and there, but I don't think in large ways because one of the and one of the reasons that they find us uh, so um, uh, suitable as sort of like free range hum- ancient humans that they can from which they can gather DNA sometimes to bolster their own genomes. The reason we are so special is because we are the product of natural evolution hewn by time for the most part, because they've gotten themselves in trouble with genetic engineering, which is one of the reasons why their genomes are so impoverished. They've lengthened their own uh, lifespans, they've altered lots of different elements of their own DNA deliberately, but caused a lot of unforeseen symptoms and side effects because, uh, you know, a, a, a genome is a holistic systemic thing. And if you're if you're if you think you're very clever and you're going to make alterations in it to lengthen a person's lifespan and and you do that, the consequences of that can be felt all over the place in other ways that you didn't foresee. And that's what happened to them. They need our DNA because our DNA is relatively free from interference. We are naturally evolved beings for the most part, although there is evidence to suggest that maybe there's been a little bit of tinkering as they've decided maybe we do need to be altered slightly to make us more appropriate for them to then harvest DNA from. But um, as for the, yeah, the, the, what was it? RH negative. Is that what it's called? Sorry. The, the, the most, the most of the yeah. past cultures are RH negative. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. That, that, that is an interesting thing. And maybe, maybe those people were in Samaria at that time. And so when they're, interbreeding with us now later there's still some kind of compatibility with people with rh negative people with rh negative are going to be more likely to be breeding partners or uh, who knows i'm not quite sure but that is interesting i didn't realize that about the rh negative did you know this i just i just found this out the other day an rh negative mother can't uh procreate with an rh positive um uh someone else because um her her blood if it mixes with the baby's blood it'll kill the baby that's how yeah, crazy right, yeah, rh negative so. blood is that's it's an, it's amazing it's so weird yeah that it's, is that is a freaky thing isn't it yeah i remember hearing something about that but they, they the actually details. have yeah. they have stuff now that they can take they give medicine that makes the the mother able to carry the child that, that they actually changed that I, they they I, someone said that too like at the same time as somebody said that the, the mother can kill the child by mixing blood i also heard that they have stuff that they can give the mother now i'm not sure about this i'm no expert in blood yeah, yeah. or anything but it's just so interesting because like you know why why would they be going after rh negative blood like is that a certain bloodline from from way back and it makes sense it might be who knows i, I like i like to yeah. speculate you know i i don't know for sure all i'm doing is speculating you know yeah yeah that's right no that's that's cool man that's what it's all about you got to got to get to your uh, philosophizing and speculation going on i just i was just speculating I was just speculating myself then and thought well maybe maybe something 
it has something to do with just they themselves um, having Rh negative blood. These future humans and it being that a bloodline that, that survived. It was the one that survived and others didn't. So because they're like that, they have to choose individuals from our stock representatives that are like that themselves otherwise they're not compatible i mean that makes sense yeah but yeah who knows yeah so when did your your experiences start how did that i mean was it is it did you have a lot of experiences or do you continue to have them or yeah i continue to have them i had them all my life but um but over my childhood and sort of adolescence that was sort of was sort of patchy like sporadic i'd have weird things happen to me interactions with beings that i thought were fairies or elves that's the way i interpreted it originally which sent me down a path of being very interested in celtic and germanic mythology and world mythology in general but particularly the gaelic mythology like celtic mythology um uh, i'd had an experience with a being uh when i was a kid i was four years old but i was i would have been turning five in a month um and we were going to collect Christmas trees from a local golf course where we'd go down and we'd harvest, like cut a branch off it, a, a pine tree and drag it home every year. It was like a little pine tree wood. And I saw this being behind the tree that my mother couldn't see and my, other, my siblings couldn't see, um, which I've come to understand now is one of these crypto-terrestrial Orions wearing one of these boa suits. It was in one of these cloaking suits, but it was uncloaking partially. Um, and I thought it was a fairy. You know, I just thought it was like a tree elf or something. So I, so I became really passionate about researching fairies and elves and elementals and, you know, non-human entities through in world mythology in general, but particularly focusing on Gaelic and Celtic stuff. But um, then uh, I had other experiences like at night when I, in my childhood, waking up and not being able to wake up people in my house, like my parents, my siblings, shaking them, not being able to wake them up. And then going outside to meet people, like a, a tall glowing being leaping into the sky and floating down that I thought was a harlequin. And oh little, 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 little ones jumping up in my face with a big dark one with claws leaning against the fence watching us. Um, wow. And then another, time, another time going outside when I couldn't wake my family and being a, a dark shape jumping off the top of this boat that my dad had built that was sitting in our front yard, um, like a sailboat sitting in the front yard. Um, but I went up near it at night and there's this big dark shape and it jumped down onto me and swept me up into like a bag, like a sack or something it felt like and started flying or running off with me. And then when I was screaming, it opened the bag, looked in and stroked my face like it was trying to calm me and then did the bag up again. And then I just woke up at home with like, <laughs> this is freaked out with like missing time. Oh my God. And, and um, yeah, and then... Uh, so I had these experiences when I was a kid, not not all the time, but and then sometimes as a teenager, I had some weird things happen that were similar. But in my twenties, I had a couple of things happen where I woke up in the middle of the night. One in particular, I was sleeping on a mattress on the floor. I used to have when I was a university student. I would have been about nineteen or twenty years old at the time. But in my bedroom, I just had a mattress on the floor, and I woke up one night, and there was this blonde girl with huge blue eyes crouched down right next to me just staring straight at my face and I actually lashed out at her because I was freaked out and she shot her off around the end of the bed around the end of the mattress and I kept kicking out at her which is a bit <laughs> embarrassing to a, a bit embarrassing to admit like I'm trying to kick a little kid but 
uh, I was just so freaked out. I was like, a person's not supposed to be in the room with me, my brain's saying, you know? And she actually yeah. shot out, she actually shot through the wall. She just ran around the end of my bed and just went straight out the wall um, next to her the window. Uh, and I had another experience um, when I was around about that same age, maybe a year or so later, where I went camping up in the Dandenong Ranges, which is like a mountain range it's, um, uh, east of Melbourne, uh, off in the hills, off in the mountains. Um, big uh, national parks up there, like uh, eucalypt forests that are filled with like big mountain ash eucalypts, really, really big trees that are, I think they're the second largest tree in the world after redwoods. Um, giant things that get like 400 foot tall and stuff like that. There's, anyway, I was camping in there um, and I'd gone there and had projected out thoughts that I wanted to meet the fairies and the elves. And I was interested in druidry and wicker and things like that at the time. So I went up there and I had a rucksack on and a, and a tent and I camped. And at night, there were things moving around the tent, touching the sides of the tent, like hands on the tent, uh, lights moving through the forest. And then um, I had this feeling of calm, even though all this weird stuff was happening. And then I woke up and it was morning. Like, there was, like I don't remember falling to sleep. All of a sudden, there was just morning. So there may be that sort of missing time. Um, wow. So, so, so that, so I had that happen. And then um, when I, um, it wasn't, and, and sort of strange, like poltergeist type things happening all through the years um, uh, and, and, and shadow people and just sort of weird shimmering movements just outside the corner of my eye. And I'd look and then it wouldn't be there and things like that. Like there's figures moving around, um, taking things, um, something would be missing for a couple of days and then it would be back exactly where it should have been and that kind of phenomenon. Uh, like things are being borrowed and returned and stuff like that, like a curiosity, which is the same kind of thing that happened to Charles Hall a lot in his Millennial Hospitality book. Um, they borrow his paintings and put them back again and all this kind of stuff. Um, but it wasn't until around about, I'm not quite sure if it was the year 2013 or 2014, I'm a bit hazy. I moved with my wife and kids, we moved back from living up in the Dandenongs um, where I'd been working as a nurseryman uh, on a tree farm as a, like a, a butter and grafter. Um, and we moved back down to the Mornington Peninsula where I'd grown up, where we were from. We were both from there actually, and my wife as well. Um, and then the, the, the interactions, the, 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 um, in, the interference or whatever you want to call it, the, the phenomena really started picking up once I came back home um, and and that's when I started to make the link with older fairies elf kind of experiences and more recent experiences that seem to be more ET UFO related and I started thinking hold on a second these are the same thing and then I started reading a bit of Jacques Vallée that talks about that kind of continuity of experience that the beings may well be identical beings from ancient the ancients today and Mac Tony's as well talking about the crypto terrestrial hypothesis um before I read your book I never knew who Mac Tony's was now I'm really interested in him you know I got the I, you got me interested in him like um the, this is I think you really got your finger on the pulse here if, does that make sense oh, cheers, man. I, I it, it, it's no, like thanks, a, man. yeah I, I, it's, it's awesome man like did you ever notice that um people I heard this in another podcast someone said that um abduction a lot of people like to say that abduction started you know after america dropped a bomb on japan but i don't think that's true i think you know and you'll know this from studying the gaelic and celtic um traditions they would talk about being taken up in a glend or a mist 
And I think that was them being abducted. You know, it's just a different, it's just a different That's way right. to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, man, for sure. Well, in, in, in um, Celtic Europe, they used to call it lifted by the fairies. People would get lifted by the fairies. They'd, they'd get levitated and taken up into things and then dropped off at other places. And they said that they'd, um, you know, all of the same kind of stuff, you know, Ran and she, the fairy lover, the fairies would come and, and, and a female fairies would come to male mortals and male fairies would come to female mortals and actually have intercourse with them or at their homes or call them away in the night to have trysts with them elsewhere, um, taken underground into these places that have lights that have no source. You know, which is another element of UFO folklore, where people say if they if they're taken into onto craft or they're taken underground into underground alien bases, they'll be lit up in some kind of way where the, the walls and the air itself seems to be just sort of illuminated without any light sources. Well, this is an old idea from the fairy and elf beliefs as well. And yet, um, so the abduction phenomena. The fairies or elves or whatever you want to call them were famous for abducting people. So this has been going on for thousands of years. This isn't, yeah, you're right. This isn't something that started in the 40s. Yeah. And what do you think of the chances are that like, you know, people talk about like, this is a, a little bit off topic, but it's, 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 it's on the same topic that you fall into. Like I've been researching a lot of the secret space program lately and, you know, if there is a secret space program, do you think that the government could die? Talk, like know about these or do you think that our governments mine yours could know about these things could they could be working with them like you know because you hear the people say that the government's working with the greys and you know you don't know if that's just propaganda or disinformation or if it's real or you know if they're in underground bases with them or what but you know what what are your thoughts uh yeah well i'm of the opinion that that we are well not you and i in particular necessarily on that kind of governmental level whatever but our governments are reverse engineering technologies occasionally getting assistance from these guys to that end um and charles hall talks about how the tall whites had a particular underground habitation there in indian spring valley that the usaf had even built for them wow um, at the northern end of indian springs valley which is you know south of area 51 yeah. Um, but but still within the Creech Air Force Base, Nellis Air Force Base. Um, uh, yeah, and then you get testimony from from lots of different people relating to this that that suggests that um, yeah they they have this involvement with us. Uh, the tall whites or the or the uh, Orions or whatever you want to call them, the crypto terrestrials that I focus on in my book anyway. Um, they don't seem they seem to help us um, in certain small ways with with uh with uh advancing our technologies and propulsion systems and things but don't give us anything major they don't think that we're psychologically emotionally spiritually whatever you want to call it advanced enough to be capable of this kind of interstellar power and so they occasionally will alter will will give us clues here and there but they keep most of their anti-gravitic technology uh a secret from the U.S. The governments, the, pro- the, the governments in the world in general, yeah. But and what they also seem to do, which is just this is this is really I find this particularly interesting. Um, they brought back with them from Al Nalam, from Epsilon Orionis, advanced 
technologies, advanced craft that they that were biological that grow that they can grow in zero g as one living organism that are sentient and and are controlled by your mind and all this kind of stuff. So this is like real science fiction high grade stuff, but they don't have many of them, and they can't replicate this they can't rebuild them here they don't have the the um infrastructure set up or the uh, or access to the right um materials or elements or i'm not quite sure why but mo the craft that they build here are built out of our own materials and fabrications so a lot of so a lot of their craft like their tic-tac craft or their rv some people call them rv looking craft or the large dark triangular craft or boomerang shaped craft they use as well a lot of these craft are actually made from segments of our own industries. Um, and so if you see a craft and it has rivets and, and um, you know, girders and all this kind of stuff, people often presume, oh, that means it's one of ours. It's a back engineered craft, um, us trying to, you know, it's an alien replica vehicle. If you were to see the real thing, they'd look all sleek and they'd look like a living being, like, like a whale that just floats through space or something, you know. Um, but that's not necessarily the case because most of their fleet is like that. Um, wow. So and they and they even use like Charles Hall. I've 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 been in their uh, like tic tac type craft. There's a couple of times where I've had experiences where I've been taken on board these little things that are like buses without wheels that shoot about with seats in them that look like they're from our buses. <laughs> and with like with pilot with pilot seats with pilot seats that look like they're from our fighter planes. Wow, that's interesting. It's so interesting. And, yeah, it, and Charles Charles Hall said as well when he went in one of them, there was an oven that was just like straight off the <laughs> shelf from the store, <laughs> and a, and a shower. He said that, there was a shower that was just like what he'd seen for sale down at down the street. That is you know, so like, funny. Wow. Like, the, 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 that's, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, that's so amazing. Like, <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah, that's, fr that's freaky. That, for some reason, I find that even more bizarre and, and, and fascinating than them ha only having the really sophisticated technology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think there's <laughs> other, uh, do you think there's other, um, uh, races, I mean, that exist. Like you hear about the Pleiadians and like all these other, um, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't I mean, know. I don't know anything about that kind of thing. Um, I don't know whether that has any truth to it or not. I mean, there's a there. I don't. I don't want to. I, I don't like focusing necessarily on things that I don't believe, and more on things that I know to be true or I do suspect are true. There are certain. Yeah there are certain figures and I won't say any names because I think that's probably not a good look, but uh, there's certain figures in you in ufology of people that claim to be in contact with certain beings from certain places and that kind of stuff. And I actually doubt very much whether it's real, um, whether they're lying or whether they're delusional, I don't know. But in the end, I sort of look at it and go, I don't think that's real, but you know, who knows? Maybe it, maybe a lot of that is real, but some of the beings that people talk about, I don't, don't know anything about, you know, like I know that a really common recurring race or character in modern ufology is the Pleiadian, the, the, the tall, fair being that looks basically like a Scandinavian supermodel 
um, but otherwise looks exactly like a Homo sapiens. Yeah, except maybe with pointed ears or something like that. A little bit right, different. yeah, like maybe a little bit of a difference, so a little bit, yeah, pointed cheekbones or a bit taller and in better, you know, like really fit or whatever. Uh, and yeah. all of their members are like really fit and you know there's none of them are a bit tubby around the middle they're all perfect you know that kind of yeah thing. that's funny i noticed that yeah they're, they're they're always like perfectly in shape like a like a, like a great thought you know I, I don't know about all that kind of stuff and that's not that's not inside my experience and the people that i do believe definitely out of the experiences of the world and the and the and the claimants the people um like whistleblowers and all that kind of stuff that i do believe for sure None of that involves Palladians. That all, all of that involves like these Orion beings or Zeta Reticulum beings or the J rods. Sometimes they're called. Uh, the, what's the, the J rod? What's the J? What's the J rod? What do you do? Uh, you the J. I can't. Um, J rod. Well, that's a term that was used by Majestic to mean future humans from Zeta Reticuli. So they're originally from Earth. Again, like the Orions, they're originally from Earth. But when they left Earth in this other timeline, an alter- a future timeline, a weird alternative reality, instead of going to Orion, where one group went, they went to Reticulum. And when they've come back, at one stage of their existence, 47,000 years from now, they've come back and they are what in pop culture and mainstream sort of ufology is normally called a grey. They have yeah. dark eyes, they have Fairly big heads, not massive craniums like you see sometimes, but smaller, a bit small, still bigger than ours, but not like the full-on Megamind type massive heads. But uh, four fingers with no thumb and claws and scales, oily sort of skin, and they're sort of like a dark grey. And then there's another version of them from 7,000 years further on again. So it's the same race, but it's from 7,000 years later, and they're a dark brown, but basically look pretty much the same but have three sort of prominent ridges on the tops of their heads. Um, and they're the beings from the Virginia incident from um, the Brazil. Brazil. Yeah, Dr. Yeah, Roger Weir 90... talked about that, about the, um, the children on the schoolyard were playing and they, the, the aliens stopped and they got out and they sent telepathic messages to the kids. And they, they have interviews with those kids 20 years later now. Did you ever see that? No, I haven't. I've, I've watched the documentary um about the virginia incident but the, it's the amazing little... it, you know yeah, it, yeah. it really is like um i what i was gonna say i, I kind of lost my uh my, my train of thought but this is this is i love talking about ufology man i could i could sit around and talk about it forever like but i i really like i said i already said this i really think you're on to something like i i really like the fact that they're they might be indigenous because that makes sense why they like you said they would want our dna and uh, and in the book like for people that aren't familiar i'll just tell people he covers like the, the cases he talked about he gives you a great uh, a specific detail of the antonio villas boas case the peter corey case um the chris bledsoe case um the charles uh uh what's his name charles uh, Charles Hall, you go into all their cases, and you go into the work of Jacques Vallée, Mac Tony's, and uh, and Charles Hall, like you said. So, said so. Not only, I mean, you go into all their. It's it's very impressive. Is what I'm trying to say. And for people that want to hear about the experiences of those people, I think your book's amazing. Um, do you want to tell everybody where you can be found and everything like that? 
Yeah, for sure, man. And thanks for saying that, by the way. That's that's lovely. Um, I, I I did put in I, the book itself. Only took three weeks to write the first draft of, but in like a dump. But really, of course, it took years to write in the sense that it's based on a lot of research, you know, uh, uh, buffered by my own experiences with these beings, etc., and so on. But when I actually wrote it, I just went, sat down one day and just over three weeks nonstop, just just wrote the first draft and was really intensely passionate about that. But yeah, the book is available at um at Amazon. It's through Flying Disc Press, Philip Mantle at Flying Disc Press. But it's it's on Amazon as a paperback, a hardback, an ebook, and also. Um, it's in the works to make it an audio book. There's a guy who's been hired to do that and um, he's he's been working on it for a little bit now and hopefully in the next few months or something, it'll be available as an audio book too. So that's cool. And it, oh, and also I'll just add that if people, I've got a YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Musgrave Evans. If people want to check that out, I do sort of like blogs and things sometimes. And uh, yeah, and I'm on Facebook too, if people want to uh, send me a message or anything like that. So cool. That's awesome. Well, thank you again for doing this, man. I'm glad we finally got together and did this. And, uh, you know, I, this was amazing. I'm glad I got to learn all about your theory on this because I think you really, you know, you're really on to something. Thanks, Thanks so much for saying that, man. Cheers. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks for and having I, me. Thanks for no, having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, well, all right. Well, thank you. Have a good night. Okay. See you. Thanks, you do. Yeah, yeah. Cool. See you guys.